0: So, turn with me now, please, to uh, Genesis chapter 21. Genesis chapter 21. And I want to read the whole chapter. Before we do that, let's bow our heads in prayer again. Let's pray. Father, again, we ask you to help us as we read your word and learn from it. By your spirit, you would come and uh, encourage us. And build us up in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom he had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very distra- displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, "Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do she tells you. For though I, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named, and I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring." So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread. And a skin of water, and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about a distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the, vo- the voice of the boy. And the angel called of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he, is where he is. Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand. For I will make him into a great nation. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bull. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or my descendants or with my posterity. But as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard about it until today. So Abraham took the sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of those seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs that you will take from my hand, uh, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abram planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called the name, uh, there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abram sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Well, it's been a long wait. Uh, The Lord has been making promises about Abraham's future descendants since uh, since chapter 12 of the book of Genesis. And he has been specifically promising a son in chapter 15, verse 4. But years, even decades, have have drifted by. And Sarah reaches that age where, to quote uh, an earlier chapter, the way of women has ceased. In other words, she can't have children. She's barren and she can no longer produce children. But then in chapter 18, we saw how the Lord had promised a child to Sarah. And that he, he would be born within the year. Much to their surprise and, and even a little amusement. But through all of this, of course, uh, I think the tension has been rising somewhat. Um, between Abraham and Sarah, when, how is God going to fulfill this promise? How is God going to do everything? He said, after all, our bodies are decaying. We're old. We can't have have children at this age. And so for Abraham and Sarah, it's been a constant concern for them. How is God going to answer this promise? But as we've seen, God has sustained the faith of uh, both Abraham and Sarah uh, in the promises that he has made to them. We have seen how God has repeated the promises to Abraham and Sarah. And each time making the promises a bit more specific that the son is going to come. And we have seen how in response to those promises Abraham's faith, as it were, has been stretched. That's, that's a problem, isn't it? When, when promises become more specific, uh, we, we're, in, we're invited to believe that, spe- that specific promise. And that gets more difficult, doesn't it? Our faith gets stretched. And that's what's happening to Abraham. And we've seen Abraham full of questions. Uh, full of things that he did not understand. And it wasn't a lack of faith. So much as evidence that his faith was being shaped and formed by God taking these steps from general promises to specific promises uh, as time has gone on. And God has been doing that in such a way that Abraham could in the end do nothing else but simply trust in God. It's almost as though he has been stripped away of, of every possible other way to, to see those promises fulfilled. And now all he can do is trust God, put his faith in God. And that's a, quite a challenge, isn't it? Because for many of us, we can, we can talk about having faith in God as long as everything's kept general. But the more specific it becomes, the more difficult it becomes to believe God. And actually, as God brings his promises to bear on our lives, it reveals to us maybe ways in which actually our faith has never truly been in God. But maybe on other idolatrous things. Things we've put our trust in in life. Things we are resting on instead. Instead of the words of God. And we've also seen how uh, God has brought these events into Abram's life. And have brought to the surface certain kinds of sins. Certain uh, secret sins. Certain occasional sins. But also some habits of a lifetime. That Abram has. Remember a couple of times now we've seen how uh, Abraham has uh, said that. Sarah is his sister. To the great danger of Sarah. But now at last we come to the point of fulfillment. Isaac is born. At last, Isaac is finally born. And we see that in verses 1-7. to But it's not a happy ever after moment. Because immediately we begin to see there are new dangers. And we see this in verses 8 through to 21. New dangers where Ishmael uh, presents a danger to Isaac. But once again in all of this we see the protective hand of God on Isaac. uh, Just as his protective hand was on Sarah in the previous chapter. uh, Showing us once again that the purposes of God are far greater than our lives. The purposes of God are far greater than our little lives. So first of all then, only two things to say, talk about today. First of all, a promise fulfilled, verses 1 to 7. And we see God acting and fulfilling everything that he has promised. And it's very simply stated and explained in verse 1. Um, the Lord visited Sarah. A special moment. Where the Lord attends to her from above uh, uh, above and beyond the ordinary. And for that moment, uh, Sarah is the special object of God's attention. Then the Lord did to Sarah, did something to Sarah. He acts in supernatural power. Remember, Sarah is old. She's, the way of women has ceased with her. And yet, God is able to implant a, 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 you know, a, a seed in her womb, and she becomes pregnant, even though she's past the normal childbearing age. All of which speaks, of course, that fallenness that uh, states that Sarah's, and that kind of speaks more generally of the fallenness of human the human condition. The brokenness of humanity. That a womb that was designed to produce children simply did not work in the life of Sarah. And now it's a body that is growing old and decaying and begins to fail. You see, for all of us, the curse of death is upon us. Some of you young folks have not wakened up to this yet. (laughs) You'll get to a certain age. You begin to find that certain things don't work so well in your body. And you begin to wonder what the future is going to hold for you but the curse of death is upon us all and this is what sarah is experiencing but god comes in miraculous power to reverse that process of a fallen nature so that sarah can conceive of a cha- conceive a child and then we're told it, he did to sarah As he promised. Just a reminder of course. That that, this is not out of the blue. That rather the Lord has had this in his mind. All along. Ever since he called Abraham out of uh, the far east from Haran. And so he has given these promises: Genesis fifteen four, your very own son shall be your heir. Or Genesis seventeen sixteen, I will bless her, Sarah, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will be, shall become nations, kings of people shall come from her. Or Genesis eighteen verse ten, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah your wife shall have a son. So finally, Sarah conceives and gives birth. To Isaac, and notice that it is at the time that God had spoken to him, referring back to that visit in chapter eighteen, where He said, "A year from now, you will have a son." You see, what God does is is, is not only does God do what He wants to do; He does it exactly when He wants to do it. This is always true of God. He does what He wants. When he wants to do it, God is our sovereign God. It tells us something very important about God, our Lord. That he is not vague about what he is doing. In history generally, in your personal history, he is not vague about what he is doing. He knows exactly what he is doing and when he is going to do it. He is the sovereign Lord. And he is never late. And he is never early. He is, does everything precisely when he means to. And this is true of all of us. He knows exactly what he's doing in your life. I know some of you are struggling with some things. And some things are very difficult. And maybe in your heart of hearts are saying, why God is this happening? But be encouraged. God knows exactly what He's doing. And how He can help you. And how He is fulfilling all His promises. He knows it all. He knows it from beginning to end. Sometimes we can doubt that, can't we? I believe Sarah doubted as well. It's interesting. Uh, here that uh, is noted that um, There's a note of laughter in this passage about the birth of Isaac uh, That's what his name means uh, He laughs Is what it means And uh, you'll remember back in chapter 17 When Abraham is told That his heir was to, not to be Ishmael But, uh, but rather to be uh, the son Isaac um, And Sarah would bear a son uh, What was Abraham's reaction? What was his reaction within himself? Uh, he kind of laughed to himself, didn't he? He bowed down, he worshipped God, but he laughed about what God had just said to him. Um, and that's and why did he laugh? He, he, he believed God after all, but and yet everything that he has been told by God is contrary to the experience of his life around him. It's like all the evidence seems to point against what God has said, and so there's that clash. Of expectations that often produces a laugh in us. I I don't know if you've ever laughed at inappropriate moments. Laugh when you shouldn't have, I have. It's embarrassing. But this is what Sarah has done. This is what Abraham has done. And later Sarah does that as well. And you know, here in chapter 21, it's a laugh of joy, certainly. A joy at a son who's been born. But maybe also a kind of laugh of disbelief. How could this possibly happen? But it's happened. It's amazing. A laugh of disbelief. No doubt she would have suffered the derision of her household. And certainly we see that in the contempt that Hagar, her slave, expresses to her. And so you can get a sense of the pain that Sarah had been experiencing perhaps for at least a decade at the hands of our households. Friends, this just reminds us that as Christians, we, we can often experience pain in our lives. We can seek to live a faithful life following, uh, following Christ, following as a Christian, seeking to be faithful to God, seeking to believe God and his word, even though the word presents to us different ideas and interpretations of the truth. From the rest of the world around us. Even though at times the world will treat us with contempt. And mocks us and makes fun of us. The temptations around us all the time are great, aren't they? Uh, To doubt God, to conform to the world, to go their way. And to maybe even laugh at what God says to us. But this passage teaches us. That God keeps his promises. That God is faithful to his people. He does everything he wants to do exactly when he intends to do it. And in the end, God has the last laugh. He will laugh in derision at his stubborn, rebellious enemies. But also will share the laugh of joy at achieving all that he has set out to accomplish in glorifying his name and in redeeming his people and in the end we too will laugh the laugh that comes when we see God's all that God has done and how he has done everything that he has said and we will share that laugh of joy at the fulfillment of all that God has intended wonderful. So this passage teaches us to keep trusting God even when it seems pointless and the situation you're in seems to be without end. Keep trusting God because God always keeps his promises. Secondly, let's see God's electing love. Not loving as it's printed in the sheet. God's electing love. This perhaps is a bit more difficult for us um, because God does something here that is perhaps hard for us to understand at first sight. God separates Hagar from Abraham. And you may remember that God had—sorry, uh, Abraham had lost sight of God's promises in chapter 16. Abraham had stopped listening to God and began to listen to Sarah about her, her plans and her ideas. She had a plan, remember? She said, why don't you sleep with, with Hagar, my slave girl, and she can have a son, and, and maybe that will be the fulfillment of God's promise. And sometimes human reasoning wants to butt in and, and tell God how he should do things. But that polyamorous relationship creates a mess. It always creates a mess. Uh, There's a mess because a son is born, Ishmael. And the mess begins to show itself. Um, Now, there's no doubt that Abraham loved uh, Ishmael. At one point, he sought to persuade God that Ishmael should be uh, his heir in chapter 17, verse 18. And now, Ishmael is is maybe 14 years old by the time Isaac is born. And by the time he is weaned, Ishmael is probably about 17 years old. Uh, And Abraham organizes this weaning party for Isaac. It's an unusual thing for us, perhaps. We don't do weaning parties. uh, But uh, there is. This is the culture we're looking at. And it's a weaning, it's it's a feast that he sets up. And at the feast, Ishmael becomes a problem. Because Ishmael is laughing. Laughing at this situation. Uh, mocking, making fun of the situation. And we can only deduce that it was deeply upsetting for Sarah that the son of one of her slaves was laughing at her. And we might understand why Ishmael would be like that by 17 years old. He might know exactly what he is entitled to as a... as a son of Abraham. He he knows what he would inherit. unless, And he would have known for years, perhaps, that he was going to inherit if Abraham and Sarah didn't have a son themselves. So when Isaac comes along, Ishmael's hopes, I think, are are dashed and his future seems to be up in the air. And maybe resentment comes into Ishmael. And so he begins to adopt this kind of bullying, mocking kind of uh, tone. And Sarah senses the danger, and she reacts by saying to Abraham, cast out the slave woman with her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. This may seem like to us like a, the reaction of a, an angry woman, and all her motives may well be open to question. It looks to us like there is sin in her heart, anger, uncontrolled anger. Uh, but look at what the Lord says. Be not displeased, verse 12. Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For, though Isaac, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. God seems to have this bigger picture in mind. A bigger picture. He is thinking about the offspring that are going to come from the son Isaac. He's thinking beyond Isaac. And actually I think that he has the offspring of Ishmael in mind too. Because in future there will be deep enmity between the people of Ishmael and the people of Isaac. Uh, For example, if you look ahead several centuries later, Psalm 83 verses 4 to 8 says this. Uh, They say, Come let us wipe them out as a nation. Let the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they conspire with one accord Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites. Moab and the Hagrites. Gebal and Ammon and Amalek. Philistia and the inhabitants of Tyre. Ashur has also joined them. They are the strong arm of the children of Lot. Now all of these people including the Ishmaelites. Many centuries hence. Are going to have it in for uh, Israel. The descendants of Isaac. And if you look further. Into history. Look into the New Testament. Galatians 4.22.23 says this. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. One by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh. And the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Ishmael born according to the flesh. Trying to work things themselves. And to shoehorn their ideas into God's plan. But Isaac is born according to promise. And so Paul in the New Testament brings a distinction between people in the flesh and people uh, people of the promise. And without going into detail of that, that chapter of Galatians 4, what we can say is that Paul draws a line from Ishmael to present Jerusalem and from Isaac to the new Jerusalem. The line of Ishmael represents this world and all its corruptions. Isaac represents the community that are the beneficiaries of God's promises, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then he says, Paul says in Galatians 4:29, "But just as at that time he was born according to the flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit." so it is now. See, the people of the flesh will never will be forever at enmity with the people of the Spirit. The people of Ishmael at enmity with the people of Isaac. So right back at the start, God is separating Ishmael from Isaac in order that he can fulfill his promises made to Abraham In chapter 12 of Genesis. But yet to be fulfilled in successive generations. You see. There's a long plan that God has. What we're seeing is something. Perhaps something a bit strange. About the way that God works in the history of God's people. God's people are sinners like Sarah. And like Sarah can make decisions that come out of an angry. Fearful heart. And motives that are all wrong. But God, in the midst of that sin, is doing things that he intends to do. Remember we said, God always does what he intends to do, when he intends to do it. And your sin and my sin are no hindrance to God doing exactly what he wants to do. And his goal is to preserve those whom he has chosen and separate off those whom he has not chosen. So even though Abraham loved Ishmael, he is called to trust God and send him away. But notice also that God doesn't abandon Hagar and Sarah. He may not be chosen, but he is shown uh, still shown grace uh, from God. Verse 20. And God was with the boy, and he grew up and he lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the boy. I think that this is what's called common grace. Grace for everyone. There is grace shown to every single person that doesn't immediately bring the, se- the, the judgment and death that everybody be- deserves. But it does show us that God has a special care and a plan for those whom he has chosen. His own people. And it becomes clear that through the ages, He is choosing a people for himself. As we finish. How do you know that you are chosen of God? Very practical question. How do you know that you are chosen of God? And the answer to that question depends on another question. What do you make of Jesus Christ? The fulfillment of all God's promises. How do you know that you're chosen? Answer this other question. What do you make of Jesus Christ? You see, if you make make much of Jesus Christ, and you love him, and you give your life to him, and you want to follow him, and and you can't help yourself by loving him and following him, there is the evidence that you're chosen of God. And if you don't, love the Lord Jesus Christ that way. You're not one of God's children. At least not yet anyway. We don't know for sure how that's going to play out in your life. But if you're not, don't, not, not loving Jesus Christ, you're in a perilous situation. You're in a dangerous situation. And why is Jesus the one, the, the discriminating question, what do you make of Jesus Christ? Why is that a discriminating question? Because he is the fulfillment of all the promises made to Abraham. and he's, Abraham heard the promises and we see the fulfillment of those promises in Jesus Christ. So what do you make of Jesus Christ? Are you one of his? Do you belong to him? And if you are one of his, then you know for sure he will guard you, he will protect you, you will bring you through to salvation and eternal life, now and forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness to your people. Thank you for your kindness to us, who are believers today. And we pray that you'd help us to grow in our faith and trust in you. And that you'd carry us through all the difficult trials that we face today. That you'd be amongst us and in our hearts, so that we rejoice even though we sorrow about our situations. So hear our prayers, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.